0: Welcome to the Payers and Players Podcast, Episode 4. I'm Scott. And I'm Robert. This is a podcast where we discuss trends in junior development and review local college and non-ATP tennis events.
1: We also invite the audience to share our experience raising competitive junior players in the USA.
0: We'll discuss the highs and lows of being a payer as we watch our players so today we've got a really exciting episode. We get to interview um, one of the, the players that I think my son most enjoys watching play, um, but also I think a player who's going to be able to bring to us a tremendous amount of insight in the junior development. I want to also remind the audience that in this episode, and in all our episodes, we're focusing on the junior side of each of these players' careers. So, we're not talking about their college career or their pro career. In this episode, we're going to talk about Ty's background from, you know, from the time he started playing all the way up until he went to college. So, uh, Scott's going to take a second just to introduce our, uh, the person we're interviewing and tell you a little bit about him. All
1: right. Today, our guest is Ty Wachowski. He is from Charlotte, North Carolina. He played at the University of Virginia. His, um, his teams won three national championships, and he won the 2017 Singles National Championship. As a junior, he won multiple Little Mo Championships, as well as being the number one tennis recruit on Tennis, tennis Network recruiting. He played in all the Junior Slams, um, and in the pros, he played in the main draw of the U.S. Open last year, where he lost to Misha Zverev in five sets in the first round. Without further ado, let's bring in Ty. So, Ty, can you help us out? Um, first of all, how do you pronounce uh, your last name? Sure, yeah, it's uh, Ty
0: Quietkowski. Told you, Robert. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible. I, every time I butcher your name, man, I hate I do that. It's all good. It's uh it looks a lot harder than it is. <laughs> All right, so let, let's kick off the first question now. For the first four or five questions, if you could narrow the answers to, uh, you know, I guess from when you started tennis to 12 years old, right? So um, when I asked the question, if you'll just focus on that time time period. So what what was kind of your training schedule you know up until you were 12 years old like how many privates how many group lessons did you play any other sports that kind of thing
2: yeah so um I first of all I played baseball as well but um tennis was my main focus I played baseball in the springtime um but uh my my parents philosophy for me was just to get as many hours um on court as possible and uh I think if I remember correctly, like most of the time, um, I was okay with that. Like I didn't mind going out and hitting a lot of balls. Um, but that was our main philosophy. So it was, it was, it was a decent amount of private lessons, but they also threw me into to every clinic possible. And I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and, um, it's not like a, a tennis hub. It's not Florida. Um, it's not Southern California. Um, but we had, A few uh small academies around charlotte and and i you know did almost all of them uh throughout my childhood um i think i think the biggest thing for me was i played a tournament probably three out of every four weekends um so the good thing about being in north carolina is that the southern section we have tournaments you know pretty much every weekend and um at at any different level so if 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 I needed it matches and it was say a level four, then I could go play you know six teams. And if it was a level two or a level one, then I could you know play my age group. Um, but that was a thing. I, I I played a whole lot of matches, um, and I just try to get really match tough. And as a kid, like I didn't love practice so much, but I really loved competing. So I played I played a lot, right? I played a lot of tennis matches, and I, I think I'd say in a calendar year I played probably you know, 60 to 75 matches. Right, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's,
1: that's very interesting. So it sounds like your parents had a very strong opinion, I guess, in terms of, you know, what your development path should be. How, do they, how did they come up with that path,
2: do you know? Well, I mean, neither of my parents, uh, you know, had much of a tennis background. I mean, my dad played in high school, so, you know, he, he was able to hit with me and um, and things like that. But um it was it was more of like a a hands off approach but they but at the same time they it was um a huge sacrifice by them because every weekend they, you know, one of them was taking me to a tournament. And uh and I don't know, I think it was primarily my father, he felt that like just to just to get out there and be competing against guys my age, older, younger, different game styles, wherever it is that, you know, that was the best way because, you know, he, at a certain point, him feeding me balls on a court is, is only going to get me so far. So even when I, when I was, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, I'm playing, I'm playing tournaments almost every weekend against 12-year-olds, um, which I think was, was unique because there weren't too many kids my age, I guess, playing those tournaments, except for, you know, when little Mo would come around, Right.
1: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> So,
0: so
1: what well, that,
0: when you were that, seven when you were go ahead, Brower. Well, I was gonna say that leads us right into the next question. So you know, my son has played Little Mo. I know Scott's son's played Little Mo. Can you kind of tell us uh why you chose to play Little Mo and, and what you liked about it or disliked about it? I know for us it's one of one of the I would put it at the top of the list for favorite tournaments that I've watched my child play in. Um but what's kind of your your outlook of Little Mo and, and how did you, did you
2: enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, first the reason why I played Little Mo is because my father signed me up for the tournament, but um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I love Little Mo. Um, they're well-run tournaments. It's pretty cool. Um, so most of the time we travel within our section, but uh, for Little Mo, that was like, you know, the first time kind of, Getting on a plane to go play a tournament, so it really felt like it was a bigger deal, you know, than you know just a weekend tournament. Um, and then, and then it was really eye-opening the first couple times because for the first time I'm playing kids my age uh, when right. when I'm eight years old, nine years old, rather than playing, say, a twelve-year-old. When you know, obviously, there's not huge pressure any any time you're you're playing twelve and under tennis, but to to an eight-year-old, it feels like all of a sudden, like you know, it's 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 a lot of pressure. So I think it's I think those tournaments are great and um if I if I had if I could do it all over again I'd definitely um play those little mode tournaments again. I think they're great for competition and and yeah, I I got a lot out of them for sure. And I mean they also give out the biggest trophies possible to little kids. <laughs> that's that's one cool thing. Yeah.
1: The kids love that. Um yeah it, it, you know it's amazing where I was looking back, doing some research um, on their archive page, and they have some of the past draws out there. And obviously, you did, you did very well at them. I think you won at least three. Um, but I was looking at one of the draws uh, or one of the tournaments, and it was, I think it was a little more international one, maybe when you're 10 or 11. But in the draw, you know, you had guys like Bornatorich, um, uh, Ernesto Escobedo, Tommy Paul. Uh, deaton Bauman and yourself I mean that 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 really is a self selecting group of kids that knows sort of where they're going with the sport and it's good to bring all those kids together at a young age do you have any- do you have, do you have any memories of of those guys
2: um not specifically the guys that you mentioned but i mean i I definitely agree that it brings um you know the best players and it, it's it's interesting now that we can look back uh you know ten twelve years later and see see the development of many of those guys. The one guy that I remember, you know, clearly that um is has, you know, pretty much made it is Mackie McDonald. I saw him a bunch yeah. um at at these events and it was really cool because uh Mackie's from Northern California and I'm from North Carolina. Um and we're we're the same age and we're we both pretty good for our age. So to to compete against someone like that, I mean it's 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 just cool, um, and uh, it's it's really eye opening at that age to to be able to play against people from all around the country that are your level.
0: Yep. So who was a, a player in those days that that you kind of looked up to maybe in your section or nationally? Who they may have been a little older than you or may not have been a little older than you, but they you you kind of looked up to them like man I wish I was as good as them, and then a few years later maybe you played them and beat them. Was there a player like that that you know you kind of looked to and then and then had success against later later on in your
2: junior development um I mean the one guy that was always um uh, a few years older than me that that constantly won everything was was jack stock and uh I mean <laughs> he won countless gold balls all these all these things and I think at the time um you know his coach or parents were criticized for, you know, not moving him up a level because he was, he was winning these these gold balls without dropping like more than like four or five games in a set and like really just walking through the draw. So people are like, you know, obviously he's way better than every other 12 year old or 14 year old in the country. Why didn't parents move him up? But I mean, now looking at Jack's success now, I mean, you could say that maybe it taught Jack how to, how to be a winner. Um, Yeah. Maybe it taught him, you know, that, that you know how to play with pressure, I guess. Um, yeah. If every time that you you play a tournament, you're you're beating everyone else, or, or you're you're playing older guys and and they're beating you, it maybe you have less pressure. So I I I don't know. That was just one thing I remember from from growing up. One guy who was always you know looked up to from from the people from the kids my age. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you know, we, we've had that discussion, you know, about you know what what's the right time to move up or, or how should you play, and there's no one way to do it. You know, obviously you can't right. question you know Jack's um, success. You know, Pete Sampras had a different approach, and you know Michael Chang had a different approach. So it's 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 uh, but it is interesting that there are so many different paths to get to where these guys get get to. Um, it's so tough. My, my dad.
2: Sorry. go ahead. No, here, go, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. That's good i was just going to say that my dad's philosophy for me i mean he i don't know i don't think he had any like science behind it or anything but he wanted me to he told me this you know way late way later when my junior career was done but he wanted me to win two out of every three matches i played so yeah um you know he i guess this is how he decided on the schedule like oh okay we're gonna go play this 16th tournament here where i hope you can win a match and then lose and then maybe win a consolation match so you play four matches in the weekend, you win two, lose two, and then I'm gonna put you in a twelve year old tournament and I want you to win the whole thing. So um that that was that was kind of our philosophy, yeah. Maybe yeah. it's wrong, maybe so, it's right. I mean like you said there's so many different ways to do
1: it. I mean it's tough. Right. And yeah we're we're here in the southern section as well. So I assume that when you wanted to win the tournament you like you came to Kentucky, right?
2: Or Mississippi. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but but you guys know how many tournaments. Oh wow. Sorry, right, the fire alarm just went off in my in my apartment building. <laughs> uh oh. You want
1: to you want to uh, nope. take a break? No, no.
2: Uh, I just went on the balcony. Can You guys still hear me? Okay.
1: Yeah. Ho- yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's um, just a drill. False
0: alarm. That's right. Yeah. 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 it will be fine. All right. So let me. <laughs> Let me ask you this question: Is so a, a hot topic? I would say at junior tournaments are is obviously any time somebody cheats somebody. And so the the question I had for you was: How did you cope or react or deal with people who cheated you in a match?
2: And this is this is such a tough one. I mean, uh, there's there's so many philosophies about what you should do when you get cheated because it's inevitable in junior tennis. Um, I would say, uh, in my early days, uh, when I when I was playing older kids and I got cheated, I kind of I I didn't do much about it other than you know just kind of just take it because you're a 10 year old playing you're a 14, 16 year old they're they're a lot bigger than me. Um, but as as the junior levels got higher and more competitive and the the matches were more important, um, usually I I just had meltdowns um, when I got cheated. Uh, I would um, you know, freak out, call the refs. Um, but a lot of times, uh, these these kind of when I would get cheated, it, it would help me because then it would it would make me really want to beat the guy. When when if anyone knows my junior career, they know that I, I would beat myself a lot and self destruct, lose my mind, throw rackets, cry, uh, complain about you know X Y Z, and usually if I got cheated. I was able to snap out of that because I realized that now all of a sudden I really want to beat this guy instead of, you know, beating myself. Um, so I think that was one, one kind of positive thing that that happened out being cheated. I mean, I've heard the philosophy many times that, you know, you get, you get hooked, you hook them right back and, um, and then, and then everyone moves on. Right. But, um, I don't know. That never really worked for me I felt like as soon as um, I got hooked, um, I I would try to I would I would make a bad call back, and it it, would, it wouldn't end it. It would just kind of spiral it, and and then that and you're no longer playing tennis. You're you're both fighting over calls and things like that. So I think the, the best thing to do is if, if it is possible to just to get that roving umpire right away and have him on your court for as long as possible. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's that's such a tough thing. I don't know what what are your guys' opinions on that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, i I'm, I've never really had that much problem with it in terms of my son having that problem. Um, but you know, I think the way that we've initially attacked it is if it's you know clear that somebody's really hooking and it's on purpose and it's in, and it's intentional and it's you know strategic. Then I, you know, we've we've said that you know get your call back and see what happens. Um, but again, we I've, I can't say that it's been that much of an issue for us yet. So, but I know that Robert has a stronger opinion than I do.
0: Yeah, I, I just think that uh, having work having worked as a school administrator, you know, everybody knows a bully hates to get bullied, and so you know one thing i've noticed is when a kid like little mo handles it perfectly there's the rolling official if you call the official the officials there and that's the end of it but when you do in a lot of these smaller tournaments you're dealing with an environment where um there there aren't very many officials
2: right yeah i mean that's definitely the difficult part for sure i mean if if you're if you're at a tournament and there aren't many roving umpires and you, you, you can't get an umpire in your court, then, then what do you do? But fortunately, I don't remember too many times that happening in my career, but I mean, right. yeah, that's, I, 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 wouldn't even know where to start with that one. Yeah. Well, and cool. so what I've, what I, what I've told my
0: son is just, is, is to try to get the other child to be the one to get the official. Right. And so. I think now here's the thing is, is I've told him he's never allowed to get his call back unless I'm there. And, and, you know, I, th- you probably shouldn't do this, but I've got a way. Like if a kid makes just a blatant call, I just kind of turn my back to the court. And that's his signal that, yeah, that was a terrible call, you know, because what will happen is he'll think he hit one that's in and it'll actually be out. The kid made a good call. And so now you got somebody cheating you back when you didn't even cheat them in the first place. Um, mm. And so what I would say is I just if it's because there have been times where you're talking you know two feet from the from the baseline and two feet from the sideline and the ball's called out. And, right. And and so when that happens, I just kind of turn my back. That's his signal to him that it it was a hook. And 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 so then. I told him, I said, don't cry. You know, don't freak out. Um, if there's an official close, you're welcome to get them. But if there's not, just get your call back and then let him be the one to go get the official. And and Everett is pretty good at being able to handle that. One thing I've told him, too, is, um, you know, if they freak out, you know, call them to the net and say, if you stop, I'll stop. And then, But when they say to the official, you said that you got to be like, no, I didn't say that. So it's a it's a hard thing because as a school administrator, if a kid comes to me saying I, he's being bullied, it's my job to go investigate it and make it stop. But in tennis, often the adults say, well, just have the kids handle it for themselves, um, I, which is bad. I mean, think about if two kids are arguing at school and you say just have them handle it for themselves, well, they're going to get in a fight. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And so that's what you're trying to avoid. So what I would say is, I think the best thing is if they, if the official's close by and they can get the official. That's that's obviously the gold standard. But that's yeah. that's not always possible. And I see what you're saying. You hate for it to spiral, one cheats the other, and but what I've noticed is when somebody gets cheated back, they realize this kid's not gonna put up with it, and that's kind of the end of it. You know?
1: Yeah.
2: Scott, you want to yeah. ask the yeah. next
1: question? Yeah, but I I do want to um, bring up one one thing here. It was the uh, Louisville Virginia Virginia match last year, I think, and um, it, it was I think it was Carl Soderlund. Was he was he your number three last year?
2: Uh yeah, we all played a bunch of different positions, but yeah. Yeah. He's so I'm not sure
1: what, what do you remember? Um, you, I guess yeah, you played two that year, so you're on the opposite side. But anyways, there was a. There was some sort of a dust up between Carl and our guy Nico for for Louisville, and they spent about 40 minutes debating, you know, a point, and the referee never just did anything to to, to call a solution, and they literally mm. argued for 40 minutes on a on a point in a college match. I thought that was i never seen anything like that.
2: So. Yeah, I mean, that that's ridiculous. That should never happen. That's the referee's fault, no doubt, because in college, right, you always right. have a chair umpire. So, I mean, right. the umpire team keeps yeah. score. Or, yeah, know, it, was, when it, was makes,
1: a, it was a scoring, it, it, it was, it was a a scoring
0: issue. Yeah. When I go to national tournaments, one of the most common things I see are a, a and it ha- I see it happening in girls more than the boys, but I see a girl will win a game and then the other girl will say, "Well, the guy, that wasn't game," and so then they go get the official, and the official takes them back to the last score they can remember, right? And that's just brutal, you know, especially if it's a really close match, and you get the one break of the match that you've been looking for, and then they do the whole "that wasn't
2: game" thing. Yeah, I mean that that's just that's just salty. I mean that's, that's horrible sportsmanship. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. That's yeah, that's not even that's that's a. I mean. You just, it's one thing to you know make a close call that maybe the ball is half on the line and you steal a call, but if you're just going to change the score, I mean, <laughs> yeah, dude, I mean, just yeah. have the match.
1: Yeah. Um, can we can we move on to uh, let's talk about injuries? Did you have any injuries when you were developing, say, in those pre-teen years? You're, you're, uh, you're playing quite a bit, and so um, you know, we always hear about overuse injuries, and it sounds like you were you know pushing
2: pushing pretty hard did did you have anything that yes. uh you know held you back i have been pretty fortunate until you know about this year i've my whole life i've had uh pretty few injuries um I say that now and I'm not playing with an injury but um <laughs> in my in my childhood years pre preteen I never really had anything even um, I was also a late uh growth spurt so um i mean when I hit my growth spurt mm-hmm. i I still didn't have any too many big issues but I definitely didn't hit my growth spurt until my late teens. Um but I the only thing I can remember is having maybe some Achilles tendonitis and uh but nothing major enough to to keep to keep me out for any any significant amount of time.
1: So uh, so when you were
2: growing up, did you go through the you know, sort of the the
1: red, orange, green um progression or did you were you always playing on yellow ball?
2: I think when I was growing up we didn't even have like that it was around but maybe it wasn't it wasn't right. as po- it wasn't like, nearly as popular as it is now. Um right. I, I never did any of that stuff. I did I mean maybe a couple of times I took some really, really like the spongy softballs and when I was young mm-hmm. and hit those in like yeah. the driveway or something. But no, I never played on those smaller courts. But I think I definitely think that that's awesome because the technique that you're able to learn by playing in a smaller court with lower bouncing balls is, is it's super beneficial as opposed to just learning how to hit moon balls when you're you know six years old and seven years old and you can't, you can't get the ball over the net any other way. Right.
1: Right. right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I say that's, that's interesting because I mean, I, I agree. I think that those compression balls are great for development. Not sure they're great for competition, but they are good for, for developing strokes. But it is, right. you know, it's, it's interesting. Obviously you've got to, your your game is, you know, very advanced and can't find any flaws with it. And yet, you know, you sort of work through that moon ball phase at a young age and still, you know, so you can sort of see the kind of balls that you're hitting at Little that Your dad has a couple of videos on YouTube. And, I mean, you're hitting the ball for real. You know, you're not, it doesn't look like you're doing much of the moon ball.
2: So it looks like you, from a young age, you were playing tennis the right way yeah i I wish I had a better memory of how I tried to construct points as a as a as a young kid but yeah I n- i didn't engage too much in the whole moon ball unless i was playing maybe playing a moon baller but um yeah I don't know I was super competitive too i just i guess i never felt that I needed to resort to that but uh yeah maybe that was the coaching I had, but I also played so many matches that um i mean it, I had maybe so many more repetitions that I I felt comfortable in my technique where I didn't have to yeah. just kind of throw it up, right? Yeah, Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us real quick about your coaches and and how you pro- like how, did if you pro- how or if you did progress through coaches and did you did you kind of stick with one or did you have many of them?
1: Um,
0: I had a few.
2: Um, I had. Uh, I had probably about three, I'd say, three main ones uh, by the age of 12. Um, and then after that, I, I left when I was about 14 to go to USDA in Boca Raton. Uh, but previously that, I, I had um, a coach named Dewey Evans, um, and he's the one in 50,000 balls who uh, pulled me off the court. Um, we'll, I had, we'll get to that. Yep, and then I had uh, Bill Belzer, who um, took over my development when Dewey moved to Texas from North Carolina. And, um, yeah, those were definitely my two main coaches. I had I had a few other coaches that were um, younger than Dewey and Bill that would, you know, hit with me a lot, um, do a lot of hitting, um, and maybe take me to tournaments because they're younger and maybe had more free time. Uh, on the weekends rather than bill or dewey um like i said i mean i i played i played so much and hit so many balls that i had so many different people throughout my life that have that have been a part of the journey i guess who you know whether it's for six months or uh, when they're waiting to go to school or xyz um who just hit with me after school every day for for a couple hours so um, I don't know if you you you'd call those coaches or just um, you know hitting partners, but um, yeah, I had I probably had three main coaches and uh, a ton of sparring partners that were older.
1: Right. Well, you you actually brought up uh, where we wanted to go to next um, would be you know sort of the the teenage years, and you mentioned <clears throat> that you you moved to Boca to to go to the USC development program how did that happen um in terms of how were you selected and then what were your what were your considerations as to you know should you go should you get it, should, should you not go what were what what were the things that you really were considering then um
2: i think obviously one of the considerations is um financially um my usda is in they really took over your development they they put us up in dorms um you know they they paid for most of our expenses and the biggest one being you know coaching and and uh and living so um that was obviously a big consideration um to to, ha- to have the resources of some of the best coaches in the world and um a great um a great fitness program as well, which is one thing I, I never had in North Carolina growing up. Um, I had uh, a fitness instructor maybe later when I was working with Bill uh, from about 12 to 13, but um, n- nothing as intensive as, as what I, I, I did when I was at USTA. Um So that was a big consideration. Um, another one is um, I kind of surpassed everything that there was to do in, in, um, North Carolina. And, and I wanted to somehow take my game to the next level and it, it just wasn't possible, uh, to go to school and do that. And I would all I'd always been a, a big, very, not big, very against, um, you know, going to a big academy, say like IMG, not that there's anything wrong with going to IMG, just that I didn't, I didn't feel like I would be, you know, passed get the, the right attention right because i m g has so many players and u s g a the group that we that the that we had down there was maybe twelve twelve thirteen guys so um obviously the attention difference there is, is pretty extreme um so so, so that was they important. would have like an individual plan for each one of
1: you guys, so each one of you sort of had a was almost like you had a private
2: uh coach type thing. Uh, I wouldn't say private coach. There was eight of us that came in, and two coaches that oversaw um, that group at least for that first year. And and, uh, there was eight of us, and I guess they split us up four and four. Um, But at the same time, we worked with both coaches, and so it was. I think they might have wanted to make it like a team environment, but it was less of a team environment. But we did have those core eight guys and those two coaches that you know that we hit with and practices every day and went to tournaments with, um, these eight guys. And, and, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we were, we were sort of a guinea pig, um, group at USC. This is the first time they had done that with any age group, taking this oh. number, uh, of, of players and really focused and taking control of their development in its entirety, rather than just having them come in for camp, um, and staying with their home coaches or, uh, giving them a grant and um or helping them out here at a couple of tournaments um this was this is this is are in total control of you know school tournaments living practice uh all of that was um in their hands and uh so we were the first group to do that I, I don't think they really do any they ever did anything like that because uh i mean it was it was pretty amazing experience. I learned a lot, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think in terms of what they had in mind, it was a success because you look at the eight guys that we had. Um, none of us are in the top hundred, which is which is what USK is obviously designed to do in on the player development side, of course.
0: So how did you get
2: selected to do that? Uh, I mean the, the eight guys that they took were. Pretty much the, I wouldn't say the eight highest rank, but it was the eight guys with maybe the best results. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty cut and dry. I don't think there was one like any anyone who was like maybe ninth or tenth who felt like they should have been included in that group. And uh, I really felt like it wasn't too hard of a decision in terms of for USA in terms of like oh these are the eight best guys in the 1995 year um these are the guys that we're going to bring bring down to Boca and and have have them down here um, uh how we got selected I mean we we all went on a trip we all got invited first to a trip to Spain to tr- train on red clay for two and a half weeks and um after that I guess we that was we all maybe passed the test and uh after that we all were full time starting a few months later. So who yeah.
1: so who were the who were some of the other guys in that
2: group, do you mind saying? Yeah, sure. It's I mean, it's not private information I anything. Mean, it was Luca Corintelli, uh Justin Butch, Conrad Ziba, Nico Madrigallejo, Spencer Papa God, who am I forgetting? Uh <laughs> Joseph DeGiulio. Um, okay. Uh, was there an, and Danny Kersherman. Okay. Interesting. And did, did and your we, parents go down to Florida with you or did were you just down there by yourself? No. but this is um I once asked my parents if I could go full time to a tennis academy, um about a year before uh, the whole USDA thing came around. And they told me no, they said that they'd rather have me go to school like a normal kid um but this this one they they said um this is an opportunity that you know you should take and uh so we did, but yeah, my parents stayed in North Carolina, uh both of them work in in North Carolina, so it would have been really tough for them to to pick up and move to Florida but uh and I have a younger brother as well, so um no, they didn't come with me to Florida.
0: Do you do you think that you would have been the player that you are today, having not had that opportunity?
2: That's a tough question. I mean, I would certainly be a different player. Um, it's 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 a really hard question because um, there are so many things that I learned there that there's no chance I would have learned uh, being here in North Carolina and Charlotte. But there are like a few things that um, I mean, just just the discipline of having to wake up at. Um, you know, 6 a.m. and roll out of bed and do fitness uh, without having anyone, you know, there waking you up without having my mom or dad shake me awake. Um, you know, you know, living with, living in dormitories with uh, kids your age teaches you a lot at that age. Um, you know, it's a fragile time. Uh, so, I mean, things like that. Um, I mean, I. I certainly learned how to push myself uh, harder than I had ever, ever done before. I mean, I was hitting. I I told you that I hit a lot growing up, and but that was just after school, you know, hitting for a couple hours after school or um, before school. This is this is a whole other ball game. This was, you know, eight to ten in the morning, followed by school, followed by the afternoon fitness, followed by another hour and a half, two hours of tennis. Um, And who knows? Maybe maybe that kind of um, volume is too much for for some for some players, but one thing that um, was very distinct about our group was that it was very uh, cookie cutter for all of us. I mean, we all practiced the same amount, no matter if, what our game style were. We all were kind of taught the um, similar game styles, even though you know Luca is hmm. six six five and um, you know seventy pounds heavier than me. So um, that's one thing I think which USTA does much a much better job of now that um, was something that we we didn't do well when I was down there. Um, but I, I honestly wouldn't change anything because I'm really happy with, with, how, with the fact that, one, that I went to college, with two, how my college career went and the things that I learned in college, and who knows, maybe if I'd never gone to USTA, I never would have gone to Virginia and had college success. So,
1: yeah, yeah, it's always hard to look back in
2: hindsight and say, "Well, if things
1: are different." Well, you know, if you, you, you might have gotten a car crash in Charlotte and just because you weren't there. That never happened. Right. So it's hard to look back at, at something and and say, "Well, if if I hadn't done this, you know, I, I never would have got to here or something." But that's that's a, that's a hard thing. But you can only look back and just see, you know, if you put in every, you know, if you put all your effort into it, then you got you 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 can only do so much. So but
0: let me so, let me uh, ask
1: this go ahead. No, go ahead,
0: Robert. Well, I was, let me ask this question. so I have I w I've I've been a coach uh in different sports for you know, about twelve years and and one of the things I noticed was when when kids are like twelve, thirteen years old, they go to their sport often um as they're kind of their way to get away from their parents to go be with their friends but what i see is when they turn 16 and they get a car now they can go wherever they want to and be away from their parents and with their friends and then they get like a boyfriend or a girlfriend and and the focus on the sport definitely wanes for a lot of them and so i call it the you know the girlfriend car syndrome you know so did you ever have an instance where you were like I don't. I don't want to play tennis for four hours a day. I want to go hang out with my girlfriend or do what. You know. Did you ever have a time where you kind of hit the girlfriend car syndrome?
2: Well, I did you get my license so I turned eighteen because I was at USJ. But um, I definitely had had a. Uh, I mean, you you definitely when when you're when you're practicing four hours a day, four and a half days a week, five five and a half days a week, you. A, you, it's hard to love something that you do that much right um so i definitely i definitely felt that um maybe i was overtraining i i went through periods of time where i was like do i really do i really want to be here at USTA do, doing this much tennis and missing out on high school experiences um but at the end of the day it was always like no i'm a, i'm going to push through this and i'm going to see where it takes me whether or not that was the right answer i don't know but i i definitely had those normal feelings that you have at 15, 16, 17, where you know you you see your old friends from from Charlotte and they they have girlfriends, they have cars, they're doing things um, outside of um, tennis. Sorry, outside of you know just the sports, but at the same time, I was 15, 16, 17, and I was spending summers in in Italy and Spain playing on red clay. So um, my experiences were much different than than the average high schooler and i think i just had whenever i whenever i wished for their life i would remember that um i'm very blessed as well
1: that, that's a that's awesome perspective um that, that, that's from from someone who's on the other side of that you know who never got the opportunity to go on playing the red playing italy you know it's definitely something that i would think i would like to do that so that's that's cool um so maybe as uh, we over in Europe, you know, you played Junior Wimbledon and stuff like that. Was
2: what was it like playing at Wimbledon? Uh, well, first the first time you're ever there on the ground, you're starstruck, and then the first time that you play a match on those courts, you're uh, at least for me. I mean, it's difficult to play because you're you're feeling so many emotions. One, you're you're holy cow, I'm playing at Wimbledon. Two, it's I have so much pressure to win because um, I am here now and I really want to do well. So it's, and then at the same time, you, you want to do all these things because you're at Wimbledon, like it's easy to get distracted and and not be able to go out and perform. I think, Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's incredible to to be at any of the grand slams. And if I, if I had a, a junior player I was coaching or I would I would hope that the first time that they were able to, you know, take it all in and, and really enjoy themselves. And maybe the second time, if they're lucky enough to go again, is to really put their head down and, and, and focus on trying to, you know, Excel the best they can in the tournament, because I think that's one thing I, I regret a little bit about the grand slams is I was in, I was in all so much and so much starstruck that I was, wasn't able to put my head down and, and really give myself the best opportunity to to play well,
1: so how many slams did you junior junior slams did you play?
2: Yeah, so I played the junior u s open I think three times, and all the other ones once. I missed out on playing um French wimby and u s open my my last year because I had wrist surgery um but at the end of the day, I'm I'm happy I was able to play it once, um, and maybe happy that I didn't play those um, when when I was a senior in high school because I would have been a top seed and um, who knows maybe I would have done really well and then turn turn pro when I definitely wasn't ready to go pro.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you sort of see that with uh, that, uh, sometimes that's sort of the uh, stepping stone is you win a slam, you go pro with you
2: know Tommy Paul right. and uh, Fritz and Opelka. They all did that. Yeah. Well, those, those guys, I, those guys, I feel like, um, you know, it was the right decision. But that, those guys right. at that age were much better than I was at that age. And if I had somehow, you know, lucked my way through the draw and gotten very arrogant and decided to turn pro, it would have been a disaster for me. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> hey, let me let me ask a few questions about equipment. Um, when you were when you were younger uh what kind of string did you use and what kind of tension do you remember you know like at 12 13 14 years old were you using poly or were you using multi-filament
2: and was your tension high or low i remember pretty clearly um i used a multi-filament in the crosses and um uh, like a, a poly in the mains um i strung my racket way tighter then than i do now um I strung it maybe at like fifty six, fifty four um, <clears throat> crosses and mains. Um, now I string my racket at forty four, but I'm using all poly nowadays. Um, yeah, I, I didn't I don't think I knew any better. I just strung my racket that tight just just because.
1: At what age were you using the polys in in the mains? Um. That before you were ten, or was
2: it after you're twelve yeah it was probably it was probably bef- before I was ten maybe well, yeah eight, eight nine i was I was already you know very appreciated to be sponsored by head at the time, and they they send you a sheet with um with all the strings that they have, and they you know they give you fifty cents a year, so i think i I always got half twenty five sets of a multi filament and twenty five sets of a of a poly and and i just i blended it because I'm not sure why maybe I read in magazine kind of <laughs> that that's what the pros do or maybe my dad did or um yeah. well i think
1: i think that I think that's what you're doing right
2: Robert or that's what you were doing
0: right yeah, that's what I was doing exactly what you're doing now I'm just all multi filament uh but now everett's just ten um I've just the stuff that I've read uh every everything kind of lends to until a child you know gone through puberty or started puberty it's best to do all you can to be uh conservative on with with the equipment for their for the injury
2: purposes yeah i i think it's for sure it's it's better to be safe um i mean, maybe if if it makes him play better to have poly in the mains then he should do that and then if he starts having wrist pain elbow pain shoulder pain then yeah definitely go all out in the multi filament but um at the same time if you loosen your tension I think that does more than 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 what string you're using. I think a looser tension has more bearing on your your joints than the actual type of string.
0: Yeah I, I would agree for, for my child I've got him at forty four uh all multi and so that's pretty loose but but he seems to like it and uh doesn't yeah. want me to change it so that's
2: that's also a factor yeah at the end of the day it's he's got he's the one who's got to go play out there so he's got to be comfortable with what's in his racket did you
0: string your own racket
2: um no i'm embarrassed to say i don't know how to string a racket <laughs> um but and and right next to our house we had a tennis shop um and I just got my racket strung there. Uh, gotcha. Still do. That's so cool.
0: Do you have any opinions on weight, the weight of the racket? You know, some some people what I hear is they say a heavier racket will prevent injuries, and some say a lighter racket. Do you have any opinions on that?
2: Um, I am narcotic when it comes to my rackets and the equipment I use. I don't have. I don't really know. I don't have an opinion with the question you just asked me about. Whether I think if it's heavier, it's less injury or vice versa, um, but but I do I do take insane care of making sure my rackets are down to the half grams, the same, the balance, the you know the tension, the actual grip itself. Um, I mean, my 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 coaches in college can tell you how many hours we spent like trying to fix my rackets, but as far as wait for injuries i i don't know much
0: and what do you do to prevent injuries just on a daily basis just the general fitness or what, what are some of the things that you do uh, to be cognizant uh, to prevent injuries?
2: well i tennis is such a repetitive sport and it's an imbalanced sport obviously because if you're righty you're serving and you're always landing in your left foot right so your your left leg is going to be slightly bigger than your right. Um, so you already have an imbalance there, and you need to be doing a lot of um, leg exercise on the right to, to even that out. Um, as well as you're always going to be serving on your right shoulder, so you need to be taking care of the shoulder. I mean, tennis is a super tough sport on the joints. I think it's physically it's it's really demanding, and uh, I'm saying that now and more than ever because I, I've been out off the court really on and off for the last nine months of injury. So I, I take I've been spending countless dollars and and seeing different people on how to keep my body healthy so that I can so I can still play. But um yeah, I mean for me I have daily wrist exercises that I do, uh glute exercises to keep my um back and knees um you know, properly aligned. Uh as well as um you know, strong. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and then I think everyone, even from a young age, you have to always be doing shoulder prehab with the amount of serve that you hit and the heavy balls and just constantly serving. Shoulder prehab is major because, you know, if you blow out your shoulder, you know, it's tough to come back from. Um, but
1: can we move to, uh, some of the issues that were brought up in the uh 50 balls documentary sort of wanted to talk yeah, a sure. little bit about about uh, um and this is where i caught you at, at louisville i asked you the question you know sort of how what that what being pulled out of that tournament had on your um emotional development um could you talk, talk a little bit about first of all you know you you, you know like saying in your other podcast with the crack rackets guy you talked about the temper that you had as a kid and you know, how did you deal with that and being pulled out of a big tournament like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, you can see in the video that they interviewed me five minutes after the match and I'm not crying. Uh right. I'm not I'm not I'm not raising my voice, I'm not flushed, I'm not I'm not seated. All of a sudden I've calmed down, right? Uh on the court. Yep. They have a small clip of me. I don't know if it's spiking a racket or spiking a ball, but some behavior you don't want your child to do, and and then you interview me five five minutes later, and all of a sudden like it's a completely different kid. So I mean that shows right there that for me, you've just let me off the hook by pulling me off the court. Um, I I was suffering on the court, and um, at UVA we coined it we coined um, you know, a a big match with a lot of pressure at the chamber because you feel so much anxiety, so much pressure. Um, Clearly at that age, I I felt so much pressure to win that I acted like that. And, um, you know, who knows where that pressure came from? And it's clearly unfounded because at the end of the day, whether or not you win a match as a 12-year-old in Little Rock, Arkansas, is is not a big deal at all. Um, Right. I I clearly felt like it was the end of the world, and and um, good enough to to lose my mind like that. So so by by pulling me off the court, which I don't fault Dewey for doing because I'm clearly being super embarrassing to him, and, and you know to my family, and even though they weren't there, but clearly embarrassing my coach by acting like that, um, he's got to feel like he needs to do something. But but in terms of what it did for me, it, it let me off the hook. I'm I'm out of the match. I felt that now when people look at the score. It says five five default. Right? It doesn't say that I I probably would have lost that match seven five six one. With at the at the rate I was spiraling down. I actually remember this pretty clearly. At the rate I was spiraling down I would have I maybe would have won one more game. And Mitchell was Mitchell was on the up and I was on the down, so I was gonna lose the match either way. So so by you pulling me off the court, it it lets me off the hook because one, I what I was afraid of is Showing the world that I'm not as good as Mitchell Pullman and that he beat me, so he's better than me, right? By pulling me off the court, and now it shows to the world that, oh, wow, like Ty only lost because his coach pulled him off the court and he had a meltdown. We don't know if he's better than Mitchell Pullman or not. See? So yep. so I didn't realize this at the time, but that's why I had the relief, and that's why I was happy to be, <laughs> to be off the court. Um, um, but at the same time, that's because... I had all these anxieties and I didn't want to lose and all these things. There are some times when you you need to pull your child off because they're, they're, you know, doing something that's unacceptable. But all the times I have been pulled off, uh, in my career, which is probably in my junior development, maybe 10 times, maybe, maybe even a dozen, it didn't, it didn't really change anything because, uh, like I said, it was kind of letting me off the hook rather than making me suffer and eventually lose the match. Um I think I think losing would have been would have been tougher and then having coach sat down and say it maybe it wouldn't have made a difference but he if he said look like, look at how you acted, obviously that didn't help you. What are some strategies we can do to one, help depressurize you to take some of that burden on the court that you feel uh and allow you to just go out there and play. And and two um you know you learn a lot more by by learning than in losing than getting than just getting pulled off the court so that's that's how i feel about that specific situation that you're asking about um i mean it's certainly tough i don't know what i would do if i was coaching a player or i had a son and he was acting as horribly as i was so um it's not easy for anyone Certainly not the parent and certainly not the kid who's clearly having a horrible meltdown.
0: Well, and don't, don't you think, and this is just my opinion, but as a, as a coach or a parent, I would rather my child be reacting to losing like you were than to just not care. Right. And, and I, I agree with you that the, that the strategy for the parent and the coach is to make you suffer through it and then provide you with, with um, you know, armor for the next match so that you know how to cope with those feelings, right? Because like you said, when you pull out, you're actually doing what, what the player probably wants you to do. You know, it, it's like, okay, I'm off the hook now. I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that's – because I've seen it with my own child.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean – it's like it's like a pitcher who's having a bad day. You just put in a relief pitcher, and, you know, he's like, ah, he's had a rough outing. I'm hoping I can come back and pitch better the next day. But in tennis, you don't have that, and you have to suffer through those bad days. And now we're not talking about performance. We're talking about attitude, but it's still pretty similar. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, for me, it was, it was very cut and dry that um, – that I had to just find a way to suffer it out instead of uh, getting let off the hook. So what would you have done if
0: you were the coach of you at that, at that moment, would you have just walked away and let you go through it?
2: Yeah, I think, I think the, it's so tough because the, the player coach relationship, um, depending on what kind of player coach relationship you have, if, if if your player needs to feel like you're never going to, you're never going to walk away from them and you're always going to be in their corner. And it's really tough to walk away. But if, if you're maybe say like Ivan Lendl, who Murray will yell at in his box and Ivan doesn't, doesn't change his expression. Um, I think that's, that's different as well. But I, if you just just up and lead your player, that could show them that, you know, you're just not going to take it. And, and they're, if they're going to act like that, they're going to have to, you're going to have to solve it on your own and, and, and figure it out. I honestly don't know what I would do if, if I was a coach of that player. I mean, it's, it's so tough and you want to, you want to help them, but it's also embarrassing you. I mean, I I regret all the times that I did that now, embarrassing all the different coaches that, that I had, but um yeah, I I honestly don't know what I, what what I should do. Did
0: the did the official ever say anything to you um, in, in any of the times that it happened? I, and I'm not just talking about on on the movie. I'm talking about how did the uh, did the official say anything to you? And then when they did, how did it impact your behavior? Did it change it, or did you just keep doing what you were doing?
2: I'm sure I've had a, uh, many officials. Uh, talk to me um at the end of the day the only i i don't really remember anything too major coming out coming from an official talking to me but um it also depends on the way they do it If, if they say like um like son you can't act like that um then that's one thing but if if they if they if they had shown me any like disgust or anything like that, that would have just really turned me off from, from you know, being able to listen to them. But um, no, I don't, I don't remember anything too, too specific about a referee talking about anything.
0: So ultimately, what what was the thing that that helped you to, to cope? I mean, can you remember vividly when you were like, okay, I know how to handle this?
2: Um, well I didn't figure how to out until maybe my senior year of college, so uh, it has been a it's been a long time and I mean, even my first two years of college I struggled with uh you know, going nuts, um you know freaking out on the court and having horrible meltdowns. So uh I wouldn't say it was just one thing that happened, it was just uh I just realized that. Um, I guess I gained a kind of perspective that um, allows me to not have a full meltdown. I mean, I still struggle with it every day trying to trying to give 100% and and um, not not give 100%. But I I struggle with my emotions when when it's a when it's a bad day and and, and try to find ways to to just go out there and fight with whatever you have out there because. It's it's tough to play well, um, you know, 300 days a year. Well, and here's what
0: I would say to you. is that It's admirable that even in college you were having those issues, and here's what I mean by that. I know that probably is counterintuitive to what most people would think, but I can see where if if I were 20 years old and I were beginning to lose, it would be a lot easier for me to just mail it in, you know, just not give good effort and just roll off the court, having lost six two six zero or something, and just say, "Well, today wasn't my day." But the fact that you were still having the anxiety showed that your desire to win was so great that you you didn't you couldn't even allow yourself to do that.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I definitely think that I uh, I didn't have a lack of. Of motivation or pressure on me throughout my college career, I always, I always, my first year was all about, oh, I really wanna, I really wanna start, I really wanna play somewhere in the lineup, and I, I wanna help UVA win a championship. And then my second year was, oh, I, I really want uh, to win NCAA's as a team, and I, and then I want to, uh, you know, have a great individual record, and and then make NCAA's, be an All-American. So there's, there was always like some motivation, um, you know, to not lose a match. And, um, I think that the days where I just, well, I never had a day where I, I went out there like you just said, and I just let someone just walk all over me and kick my butt. And, and that was, and I, I didn't have a meltdown. I mean, there were days where I walked out of the court and I was definitely the worst player in the court and I had a meltdown because of it, but it was never, I, I never rolled over and just allowed someone just, uh, just to be like, ah, he's, he's too good today. Um I would have days where yeah the other guy's better and I would I would, you know, make excuses and about why I wasn't playing well enough or, you know, tank a few points, but it was never I never rolled over and died. And I, I don't think that that is my nature to ever do that. So I think that's admirable. Yeah. That that was
1: a interesting discussion. Um the the name of the podcast is Pairs and Players and the players um, would like to ask you a question. Do you mind if our boys ask you a quick question, Ty?
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Hold on. Here, here we go. Let Luke go first, if you don't care. Um, Hello? Hey, Luke. <laughs> Hi. Um, this is Luke. I'm nine years old, and I want to ask you some questions. Um, Number hey, one.
1: Sounds
0: good. All right. Number one, what is your dream car
2: if you have one? My, my dream car? Uh, yeah. I I would love to one day have have one of those really nice Teslas that that we see on the streets. I'm oh a, yeah. I'm a no gas kind of guy. Yeah, those are pretty cool.
0: And my last one is, what is your favorite sport other than tennis?
2: Um, ooh, I played I played baseball a lot growing up. Um, but, uh, I'm, uh, now I love to watch professional NFL football. I'm a big Panthers fan. Um, so yeah, I love watching NFL football. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Luke, stay on, stay on Luke.
0: And Everett's going to ask his and, and you listen okay. to it. Okay. Okay. I have problems with my emotions. About at what age could you control your emotions?
2: Well, Everett, I still work every day to try to control my emotions, but um, I think it was about uh, maybe maybe 14 where I stopped crying on the court, so that was the first step, um, and then maybe maybe 18 where I stopped having meltdowns, and then now I'm 23, and I think I've finally gotten over the hump of... Um, you know, not breaking rackets and um, being in full control of my emotions. But at the same time, I, I work at it every day to to make sure I try to keep myself positive and I have productive practices and um, go out there and do my best on the court. It's, it's a really tough thing. I know what you're going through.
0: Well, thank you. I'll be rooting for you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for answering their questions. They uh I would say that about I don't remember if it was about three years ago when we found fifty thousand balls and ever since then uh you've been one of one of Everett's favorite favorite players to watch. <laughs> he really he really enjoyed I, I I'll tell you, he he lived and died with every ball, every point in that US open match against Berev. I mean he was jumping up and screaming and then he was crying. You know, it was it was so much fun to watch.
2: Uh, that's really awesome to hear. You guys watched it. Uh, I was the same way. I was living and dying <laughs> at every point. That's
0: he I, he, I he heard, also was you, that
2: That's uh, really cool.
0: When when you were doing your push-ups, he he was doing push-ups with you.
2: <laughs> that's so cool, man. That's 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 one of the reasons why I played to, to uh help help inspire some of the young guys. But yeah, it's very cool. I'm, I I appreciate it. All right, so we're going to
0: do a little rapid fire section, and in this section, just there'll be real quick questions. You can just give real quick answers. That most of them will have some have something to do with tennis, some don't. So, what's on your phone? What's the favorite app you've got on your phone right now?
2: Uh, ATP Live. I follow every uh, result on the tour. I would say, Scott, that's it. that's yours too, isn't it? I'm all over
0: it. <laughs> all right. So, what's a new app on your phone that uh you
2: just recently found that you really like uh i just downloaded the ncaa tournament bracket and i made a bunch of brackets this morning before the deadline and now i've been checking it all day to see how bad i how bad my picks were okay so that
0: leads us into the next one tonight are you going to be watching Chung against federer or or the ncaa uh,
2: basketball uh, I'll definitely split between both of them, but, uh, I'm the, I'm very pumped because tomorrow UVA is in Charlotte and, uh, I get to go to the game. So I'm very excited. Oh, there you go. Cool. All right. your favorite non-tennis hobby? Uh, I love skiing. I've, I've been skiing a few times in the last few years and it's, it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I like skiing. I'm just always afraid I'm going to run into a tree. Um, oh, no, I'm afraid of that so, too. No doubt. Do <laughs> uh, you play ping pong?
2: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm pretty good.
0: Who's the best player you've played? Kind of a, that we might would know.
2: Um, Luca thinks he's pretty good. Luca Corintelli, my roommate uh, in college and um, teammate. Uh, I wouldn't say he's the best, but you guys definitely know him. And uh, yeah, he he was probably the best on the team. Let's just put it that way. All uh, right, favorite junior tournament you played? Ooh, uh, I mean, all the junior slams are really cool. Probably junior Australian Open was the coolest. Um, but as far as domestic, Calmazoo is amazing. Um, the Little Mo uh, Nationals in, in in somewhere in I can't remember where in Texas, but maybe Austin. Austin. It was
0: Austin, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, that one is really cool. I remember always growing up, I was uh, excited to go to that one. Um, so yeah, those for sure. All right. So
1: obviously, had- obviously you didn't play in the, uh,
2: Icy hot in Louisville. Is that right? <laughs> I- I'm sure I might've played in that one, but who knows? <laughs> what- it wasn't that memorable. <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> All
0: right. Favorite pattern on the deuce side when you're serving.
2: I can't tell you that. What if people are, what if my <laughs> opponents are listening to
0: this?
2: <laughs> well, surely they've watched a little video. Um, on a, on a, I'd love to, when I hit that big ace down the tee, it's always a, a good feeling, um, popping that ace down the tee. Uh, there you go. I hit a few, few big ones in NCAAs that are very memorable for me. So. Awesome. All
0: right, well, Ty, we really appreciate you being on. I hope the building's not burning down.
2: I'm still alive. I appreciate you guys. Yeah.
0: Scott, you got thanks, anything thanks. you want to say?
1: No, I just want to say thanks. I know it's uh, it's a busy, busy time of the year with um, NCAA basketball going on, and no, nobody wants to miss that. So we don't want you to miss any more than you've already missed, so we'll let you go. And hopefully we might see you in Winston-Salem for the uh, NCAA championships. Will you, will you be there for that?
2: Yeah. Um, we'll see if uh, my alma mater makes it, but um, I think right. we should have a guy in singles because yeah. – uh, He's doing pretty well, so I definitely want to go for the finals and then watch him play his first round of singles the next day. So, yeah, I hope to be there. It's close by. It's, if I'm not going to go when it's close by my house, I might never go. So, hey, tell me real
0: quick: is what's what's your outlook on your injury? Are you on the on the positive side, or is it still kind of in the middle of it? Yeah, and so you I you
2: again? I uh, played my first tournament of the year in Newport Beach, uh, Challenger in California. And in the in the second round, I tore my groin, um, so I've been out for a couple months of that. But uh, rehab's been going well; it's uh, all healed up and strong now. Um, I'm I'm thinking about maybe leaving for a tournament uh, in a couple of tournaments in Spain on red clay starting uh, next weekend. But um, I'm gonna see how it goes for the next couple of days in practice before I decide. Good. Okay. So you're close. That's great. Yeah, yeah, of course. All, cool. All right, I, I appreciate will... you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, right, thank
0: thanks for listening to episode four of the Payers and Players podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you would follow us on Twitter at Payers and Players. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us payersandplayers at gmail.com. Also, Scott and I are willing, if you are a tennis academy and would like for us to come review your academy, we'll bring our two boys and then we'll do an episode uh, advertising for your academy. So if you have any questions about that, please feel free to get a hold of us. Thank you.